Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Love, Joy, and Languages, a podcast about loving languages and finding joy in learning them. My name is Heidi, and as always, I am so excited to be here talking to you about languages. I have a very deep episode planned for today, but first, I want to do a little housekeeping. If you're enjoying Love, Joy, and Languages so far, I would really appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen to it to help me reach more listeners. Next order of business is, in my introduction episode, I mentioned that the first four episodes of Love, Joy, and Languages would come weekly, and after that, I would release episodes fortnightly. Well, here we are at episode four, and I'm really getting into a groove with the planning and recording and editing, so it's not been quite as time-consuming as I had anticipated. So, I'm going to change my original plan and keep releasing a new episode every week for the rest of this season, as long as it's working in my schedule. So, I just wanted to let you know I'm still coming at you weekly. So, let's get into this week's episode. Last week, I left you with thoughts for overcoming perfectionist tendencies in language learning by one, shifting the way you speak to yourself, specifically trying to remove the word should from your vocabulary, and two, by giving yourself permission to do the language learning activities you want and guiltlessly get rid of the things that feel restrictive to you. And my last piece of advice was to notice how you can do these two things in other areas of your life as well. And today I want to keep talking about this because I think it's something that we often overlook or underplay, but it's been so useful for me in how I approach my language learning as a perfectionist. Like I mentioned in episode two, the way I tend to do things is from a perfectionist standpoint. I am very driven in how I approach things by a deep fear of getting it wrong, of failing, of making mistakes, looking stupid. And when it comes to language learning, this underlying fear of failure often ends up leading to procrastination, avoiding activities like speaking where I make a lot of mistakes, getting stuck in a one-track mindset of how things should be done, and behaving under an all-or-nothing mindset. And this last one, all-or-nothing thinking, is what I'm going to focus on today with respect to how we tend to do all sorts of tasks in our lives. First, I want to explain in a little more detail why I'm talking about non-language learning things in a language learning podcast. And the simple answer is that my language life doesn't exist in a vacuum. My tendencies and how I do things aren't unique to language learning. There are many areas of my life where I tend towards certain behaviors like procrastination and all-or-nothing thinking because of my perfectionism. Absolutely, definitely because of that. But still, the perfectionist pull is stronger with some things than it is with others. Like anything related to house cleaning, I come at from a perfectionist angle. I have super high standards that don't consider my available time and energy, and not completing everything I set out to do feels like failure. But the root of that perfectionism here and the potential resulting negative feelings aren't near as strong as they are with like my work in graduate school, where I put so much pressure on myself to perform to a particularly high level and missing anything at all means crushing failure. But there are other areas of my life where I tend toward these same behaviors, this all or nothing thinking, for example, but I can't make a link to perfectionism. For example, how I listen to podcasts or watch a TV show. For years, these were all or nothing tasks to me. Every time I sat down to watch TV, I would watch the whole episode, period. If I didn't have time to watch it in full, I wouldn't even begin. Same thing with listening to a podcast. If I didn't have time for a full episode, I would either listen to something shorter or not listen to one at all. And I wouldn't say that this all or nothing way of doing these activities was particularly restrictive or prohibitive. It never bothered me. There were no feelings of failure one way or another. But why did I do them this way? 
because that's the way I'd always done it because I had never challenged it because nothing had ever forced me to consider another way until I had kids who started to grow and talk and go to school and need help and add on a pandemic where we're locked down at home for months and my kids are still going to school, needing help with homework, trying to navigate the, the social and emotional implications of this strange and difficult new life. So here's a true story. I discovered podcasts just a few weeks before COVID hit Italy. And like I said, I listened to each episode either all at once while in the car or on a walk or not at all. And it wasn't really a problem though. It was just how I operated. We were really lucky during lockdown to have a huge yard and enough good weather that the kids could spend a lot of time outside playing. And I would usually walk laps around the yard doing Duolingo or listening to podcasts while they play. So one day, while the kids were playing outside, I put on an hour or so long episode of Speaking Tongues podcast by Elle Sharice, which if you haven't discovered this yet, you've got to go find her because she has such an incredible podcast. But about five minutes into this episode, I was interrupted by the kids fighting. So I took care of everything, everyone's happy again, they're back to playing, and about five minutes later, I was interrupted again by them asking for a snack. So we go get a snack, I get the picnic blanket, everyone's happy, I put in my headphones, and a few minutes later, my daughter tapped me on the back and wanted to show me a pretty flower or something. And at first, I got so frustrated. I kept getting interrupted trying to listen to this episode, and I wanted to scream, why can't I just have time to do what I want? And truthfully, I probably did say something like that anyway. But even though I was frustrated, I kept listening to this episode in five to 10 minute chunks. And at the end of the day, I had listened to the entire episode. I had finished it. I had enjoyed it. So I asked myself, what's the problem? Why did I still feel a bit negative about it? I was still fighting feelings of anger and resentment for not having large amounts of time to do what I wanted to do in full. But now I had completed it. I had completed something I wanted to do. Even if I did it in five-minute sections, the result was the same. I had done it. So was the problem really that I didn't have time? And I knew that that wasn't the case. So being honest with myself, I said, the problem is in my thinking, in my expectations, in me fighting the reality of my time instead of adjusting to it. And what would happen if I expected to listen to the podcast episode in smaller amounts of time throughout the day? So I tested it out. You know, lockdown was a bit like Groundhog Day. Every day seemed basically the same as the day before. So the next day, after my daughter's online school, after she completed her homework, we all went outside, the kids could play, I put in my headphones. But this time, I let go of the expectation to finish it uninterrupted. My goal, I guess you could say, was just to listen in whatever way that unfolded, whether it was all at once, a few minutes at a time, or whatever, I was focused on listening. When the kids interrupted, as they inevitably did, I didn't feel exasperation, which was a bonus because it allowed me to focus on them in the positive way that they needed. And my overall feelings about this back and forth between podcasting kids and podcasting kids were calmer. My whole body physically felt less tense. My mind was clearer. Again, at the end of the day, the result was the same in that I had listened to the entire episode. Same as the day before, I'd listened to it in five to 10 minute sections, but I felt calmer. I felt more accomplished. There was no resentment and my kids seemed a bit happier because my reaction to them had been giving them my full attention in the moments they asked for it. The only difference was in my expectations. When I wanted to do it all or nothing but got interrupted, I got mad and frustrated. When I expected to get interrupted and accepted doing the task bit by bit, I felt calm and happy. And this difference is huge. 
the implications of shifting from an all-or-nothing mentality to a doing-it-however-it-fits-in-my-life mentality are substantial. This can change everything in a really positive way. So I use this example because, again, listening to an entire podcast episode in one sitting was a tendency of mine fixed by habit, not stemming from my deeply rooted perfectionist personality. So purposefully performing this task in smaller bite-sized sections of time was easier and gave me exposure to operating differently, which then made it easier to do the same thing with other tasks, things that did stem from my perfectionism. After all, I think it's easier to change a habit than it is to change something that's tied to the core of who we really feel we are, right? So how I listen to podcasts is where I started to notice this connection between my language life and the rest of my life, specifically in this all-or-nothing mentality. I mentioned in episode two that folding laundry and unloading the dishwasher are other tasks that I started performing differently in order to challenge the all-or-nothing way I'd always done them. And I've been thinking, this week especially, of other things I tend to do this way. And it's important for me to take a moment here to really define what I mean by all-or-nothing thinking. So first, this doesn't mean conscious thought, usually. Most often, I'm not out here telling myself, you can only listen to an entire podcast episode or you can't listen to one at all. But I did operate in that way. So what I'm talking about here is more focused on the behaviors that stem from unconscious or subconscious thoughts. Second, in my experience, all or nothing shows up in two very distinct ways. One is completion-focused, and the other is standard-focused. Focusing on completion, all or nothing can look like doing certain activities when there's enough time to complete it in full, or it can look like starting a task, not completing it, and then telling yourself that you didn't do it because not completing it doesn't count at all in your mind. Focusing on a standard, all or nothing can look like doing an exercise in a grammar book and only counting it as a success if you got everything correct, or maybe following a specific diet but feeling like a complete failure when you don't follow it strictly 100% every meal of every day. So in addition to how we listen to podcasts and watch TV, I've thought a lot about other things I tend to do in this all-or-nothing mentality, and here's a short list of things I came up with. First is cleaning the house. I want to clean an entire room at a time, and if I don't have time for that, I tend to do nothing. Or if I get sidetracked or called away from my cleaning, at the end of the day, my mind often says, well, you didn't get any cleaning done today, even if I had done one small thing. Reading a book is another thing I tend to do all-or-nothing. I want to read a whole chapter, or I don't read at all, or if I don't get a whole chapter read, I don't feel like it counts in my mind. Working out. I want at least 30 minutes plus shower time, or I tend to do nothing. I've often fallen into the mindset that a workout can only be a long distance run, 30 minutes of weight training, or something like that. It's like either I go big or I go home kind of mentality. How vegetables show up in my life can be a standard-focused all-or-nothing thinking. I love vegetables, and I prefer raw, unprocessed veggies over frozen or canned. I have really good intentions at the store, and I tend toward buying lots of whole vegetables. But over the next two days or so, if I don't take time to wash and cut them all because I'm busy or I don't have energy in the evening when I do have time to do it, I tend to do none of it, and many of them end up going bad, and I really hate food waste. So I'd have been better off just getting a bag of baby carrots or frozen green beans. And these are just a few examples I've come up with for my own life where an all-or-nothing behavior tends to take over. And the problem is that most often, nothing is the result. And I spend a lot of time feeling guilt for letting food go bad. 
I feel lazy for not completely cleaning the house. I feel regret for not taking better care of my body. A lot of negative self-talk comes out of this. And eventually, most of my life feels chaotic or negative, not at all how I envision it for myself. But here's the thing. I always have several 5-10 to minute periods throughout the day to work toward cleaning a room or doing some quick high-intensity aerobics. But not having time to complete them in full... I tend to spend five to 10 minutes wishing I had more time to do them and then simply doing nothing. Likewise, I feel better about myself when I eat baby carrots than I do when I let a bag of whole carrots rot in the fridge. But this standard I set for myself that anything less than whole and raw isn't good enough is holding me back from just eating healthier. And this was also how I approached my language learning for years. Without taking a solid 20 to 30 minutes of my day to completely level up a whole section in Duolingo, it felt like I hadn't done anything at all. Either I created and memorized long lists of vocabulary or big flashcard decks, or I felt like I wasn't learning new words. If I got interrupted after reading only one page in a book of Italian, my brain didn't even acknowledge that as reading at all because it wasn't an entire chapter. Then, at the end of the day, without these big chunks of time completing language tasks, I felt like I hadn't done anything. I felt like I was failing, and it all felt too big, too impossible. Where the heck was I going to find more hours in my day to devote to this stuff? And the simple truth was, I wasn't. So I spent many months, maybe even a year or more, being mostly angry about not having enough time to spend learning Italian and keep the house clean, work out, cut fresh vegetables and everything. And I spent more time being resentful and jealous of people who could spend hours on language learning than I did actually working on learning the language. And of course, the more negativity I let in, the more negativity found its way in with every aspect of my life. And this is really why I think that in order to improve how we learn languages, if what we're doing isn't working the way we want, if it isn't making us feel good about what we're doing, if it isn't highlighting our progress, this is why addressing these tendencies in our lives as a whole is so important. Because this all or nothing thinking, no time to do it all or not counting it if we don't do it perfectly, ending each day with guilt and negative self-talk, it piles on the more things we have on our plates or the more we try to do. And this is why I feel so strongly about reframing our should statements, giving ourselves permission to do things as they fit into our lives, and practicing these things in all areas, starting where it feels easiest. And this was really, really difficult to do in the beginning. But with these parts of my life, the non-language learning parts, it wasn't too long before it became easier to adapt this partial progressive way of doing things instead of all or nothing. Because how I approach language learning is linked to this deep-rooted perfectionism, doing language learning activities piecemeal was a lot harder for me than doing like the laundry or unloading of the dishwasher. However, now that I was breaking up these other things into smaller chunks of time, anytime I did have a larger section of the day to focus on something, I could now focus it on language learning. So I did find more time in a way for languages by filling the shorter gaps in the day with the other chores. And then, little by little, I started doing language things in smaller, non-completed chunks throughout the day. Again, starting with the ones where I felt the least amount of friction to change. So for me, language learning apps. Gradually, I started looking for more moments in my day when I could do something in a language app. In line at the grocery store, waiting for something to heat up in the microwave, while my kids are brushing their teeth and they don't need my help or attention. It might take five or six times opening the app throughout the day to finish a single lesson, but by the end of the day, I've done it. 
and I've either learned new words or reviewed something, and it's progress. And my brain could now recognize this as something done, something completed. Now that I was more used to doing apps this way, I started considering even bigger language learning tasks that I'd been avoiding, like reading a book in Italian. I have so many books, and I absolutely love reading them, but not having at least half an hour to sit down and read a whole chapter uninterrupted made me feel like I could never really do it. The desire to do it all or nothing has always been strong with reading. So instead of jumping in and trying to do it in five to ten minute sections throughout the day, knowing I'm likely to be interrupted, instead I tried making it a part of my kids' bedtime. And this really worked for quite a while for us. They would each pick a shorter book to read in English, and then I would read a couple pages in an Italian kids' chapter book to them. And it wasn't this perfect, intensive, reflective reading I desired to do in the quiet of my day, but it was better than nothing, and I was able to accept it as it was because I had already improved my flexibility with exposing myself to change in those other areas. And this starts to touch on that standard-focused all-or-nothing as well. I wanted to read a whole chapter by myself in silence, but reading a few pages out loud to my kids became good enough. It challenged that high-performance standard that I desired. And in other areas of my life, doing 10 minutes of squats and lunges became good enough. Going for a 20-minute walk was good enough for a workout. Eating baby carrots or frozen broccoli was good enough. And of course, if I had time and energy for more, I would do it. But I stopped viewing this less-than-perfect standard as a negative thing and started seeing that it was better than nothing because all or nothing tends to go toward the nothing more often. But all or something is a lot easier to digest. Now I'm going to change directions a little bit. We've seen how changing how I approach regular chores and activities has helped me to change my language learning approach to be a bit more flexible and effective. Now I want to talk about how changing my approach to languages has helped me in even more areas of my life, areas where it's even more difficult to break the patterns of how I tend to view things and do things. For example, in language learning, for so long, I thought that study time should be sitting down for an hour with a language textbook or flashcards or a very specific language learning program. There's one specific way, and it is all or nothing. But what happens here? Usually, I don't have a solid uninterrupted hour. If I do, I end up getting bored or my mind wanders, I get sidetracked, I start avoiding it, and by the end of the hour, I'm hardly focused and I'm retaining much less information. So I went back to that should mentality and asked myself, why? Why do I think studying should look like this? Well, because that's how I learned to study in school. And honestly, that's just not good enough for me here, so how can I reframe it? Well, I'm not in school. There are more resources now than when I was in school. I've learned other things, like knitting, without this sitting with a textbook method. I've learned things about Italian and German outside of textbooks, so I have proof that it doesn't have to be this way. And all of these things are true and believable for me. So I started giving myself permission to change how I physically and mentally approached my study time. I mentioned splitting things up throughout the day, and other things I've allowed myself to do that are much less restrictive are... If I do have a full hour, splitting it up a little bit differently using like the Pomodoro method where you do 20 minutes of study and 10 minutes of a break. During that 10 minute break, I might do squats and lunges, fold a bit of laundry or cut some vegetables to start preparing for dinner. So doubling up on those non-language learning things to do piecemeal and it's a win-win. But in this bigger amount of study time that I have, the solid hour, 
Telling myself that I'm allowed to take breaks keeps my learning energy up and my mind engaged during the 20 minutes of focused language time, and I get so much more done. Another thing I've done is to reconsider what counts for my study time. So yes, a textbook, but also learning new words from an app. Passive and active reading or listening can be studying. Speaking practice in any form, whether it's in a formal italki lesson or to myself. All of these things can be studying. And I'll talk about this more, this what counts in future episodes, but realizing and accepting that studying doesn't have to be sitting down with a textbook or a specific program has helped me to see how much I'm actually doing each day. Another thing I do is to always be prepared with something. So no matter if I have two minutes or two hours, I'm always ready with something language learning I can do in that time so as not to waste it. I now finally rarely sit around thinking, I have a few extra minutes. Maybe I should do this. Oh, no, maybe I should do that. Ah, I want to start tackling that, but ooh, it'll take too long. And then the next thing I know, the kids are calling me and I've done nothing. That hardly ever happens anymore. Having a variety of apps, of grammar questions I want to look up, words that I want to learn, or maybe something I heard out in public and want to look up what it means. This means that I always have a way to fill the shorter moments, and it adds up to a lot of learning. Learning doesn't necessarily mean sitting and studying. So this shift in my mentality from solid study time to everything counts has completely changed how I approach and consider my overall language learning time. But you know what? After working on and kind of mastering this for several months, really making it a part of my new standard way of operating, I realized that I was still approaching my daughter's homework time in the same old way I had viewed my language study time. As a parent, I was fighting her on her homework being done in one sitting, all of it, first thing she gets home in one big chunk of time, no matter what lessons or how much there was, and what was happening. She couldn't always do it uninterrupted, especially on days when my husband and son were also home. She ended up getting bored and her mind would wander. For her, homework is in her third language, and sometimes we would have to take time to translate, which adds more time to how long it takes to complete it. It took me months to realize that my new way of viewing my language study time could be extended to how I viewed my daughter's homework and study time. So I started again at the beginning. Why? Why was I thinking that she should do it in this way? And the answer is because that's how I did my homework in school. And that truth didn't sit well with me. Because I'm not the student here. I loved homework. My daughter doesn't. My school was in my native language. Hers is in her third. And times have changed. We're in a different country with a different approach to learning. All of these things are true and believable for me. So I started giving myself permission to let go of this control and give my daughter permission to structure her homework time how she wants, with my guidance, of course, because she's still young. So I provide her with ideas for how to complete homework, and she can choose one of those for herself, or sometimes she comes up with something creative on her own. So some of these ideas are, again, using like a Pomodoro method where we'll set a timer for 10 or 15 minutes and she'll work on the homework and then we reset the timer for five minutes and she takes a break, come back 10 or 15 minutes like this. It keeps her mind fresh. It keeps her coming back with more energy. Or maybe sometimes we just make it more fun doing things like singing the instructions or writing in sparkly gel pens. Or sometimes I'll read a text that's in German in my original southern United States accent to make her laugh, and then she'll correct my pronunciation with a better German one, which gives her a really quick confidence boost. 
another thing we often do is splitting up the homework assignments, but without a timer. So first she'll always do math because that's her favorite. And then maybe we'll take a break for a snack. For German, if there's like a reading assignment with questions to answer, she'll read through the text and then we break for a dance party. Then we go back and analyze the text for understanding. She'll pick out everything that she knows. Then we'll take another break for a game of Go Fish. Then we come back to it again and answer all the questions. And this one is really hard for me because, again, my insides are telling me to just get the homework done, just knock it out all at once, and let's move on. But I make it a point to tell my daughter that as long as she's making progress in it and coming back to it, we can keep having fun for our breaks. But I'm really saying this for myself to make sure that I'm staying focused on her energy, her progress, and her feelings toward an assignment. And it's okay, even better really, for me to let go of that control that I really want to have. And as you can probably imagine, homework time for my daughter has become so much less stressful for both of us, and the results are amazing. She's learning flexibility and creativity in approaching tasks, which is something that I didn't even start to truly grasp until I was into my 30s. Homework, education, and language learning have become more fun and less laborious for her. And there's more time to play and more time for quality time together because we aren't fighting over homework or wasting time staring at it, wishing it were over. And all of this, all of this goodness came about because I kept exposing myself to being more flexible in how I perform basic life tasks, which led me to being more flexible in how I do my language learning tasks, which led me to realizing that I was holding a different standard for how my daughter performed her academic tasks than I was for myself. They all tie in together. How we do things the restrictive or flexible thoughts we have about tasks, the behaviors we tend toward in accomplishing things, no matter what part of our lives they exist in, they overlap and they intertwine and they affect each other even if it isn't obvious at first. So if we want to change how we learn languages because what we've been doing isn't working, it's too restrictive or too difficult or too time-consuming, but making big changes here can seem very overwhelming or we can't think of how to get creative with it. Maybe we can't yet let go of that way that we've been doing it because change and unknowns can be scary. That's okay. Think about how you approach other things in your life. Start small. Start easy. Get really comfortable changing how you do one non-language learning thing and then maybe another and then another. And see how your mentality and your stress and your feelings about these things start to shift. Do you feel more productive being able to see all the little things you do throughout the day, not just the big ones? Do you feel more at peace by focusing on how you feel and what you want to do instead of focusing on productivity or completion? Is your mental space freer from that constant to-do list mentality? As we change how we tend to do things in our lives, it becomes so much easier to change our language learning tendencies, and we can really start to see and feel our progress instead of focusing on all the mistakes or all the things we don't know. And we feel proud, and we can celebrate our accomplishments. We bring more positivity into our lives, which makes space for more positivity. And seriously, we could all use a bit more positivity in our lives, right? So, as always, I'm going to take a moment to point out that my life right now today isn't free of all or nothing behaviors, especially during weeks where everything seems to be happening. We have all the appointments and stress is really increased. Chores are piling up. That is a big trigger for my perfectionism. And I feel a very deep, deep need to control the situation 
with all or nothing ways of doing things. But knowing that this happens, knowing that these are triggers for me, it helps me to keep a level head as much as possible and to get out of that perfectionist mindset easier or at least a bit faster than I have in the past. Also, things like reading books, especially in my target language, is still something I struggle to do if I don't have 30 solid minutes a day to read a whole chapter and this much time every day in a week or two in order to finish the book. I know this all or nothing is there. It's really, really difficult still for me to address this in how I read a book. So I just have to keep trusting in the process, exposing myself to making changes in other areas of my life and my language learning, knowing that one day I'll be ready to tackle that book in a mentally healthy way, or perhaps I'll find another angle from which to come at it. Either way, it's still there. I acknowledge it. I see it. And I'm not going to let it get to me too much. It'll have its time. So I want to leave you today with this idea that getting rid of all-or-nothing thinking or all-or-nothing tendencies isn't in itself an all-or-nothing thing, right? We may be able to master it in some areas of our life, and it still hangs out in others. We may be really good about it in certain language learning areas of our lives, but maybe not others, and that's okay. Just like everything else that I've talked about in language learning, every little bit of progress is helpful And every little bit of progress is going to keep you moving in the right direction. And it's exactly the same with this. So that's all I have for today. Thank you as always for listening. I hope this is something that you can think about for your own life, that you can tailor my ideas and recommendations to your unique journey and continue making it something beautiful and positive. Join me again next week when I'm going to focus on avoidance in language learning. Now, this is another tendency I have that comes from my perfectionism, and I'm ready to start talking about it and figuring out how to face it because no one ever learned a language by avoiding it, right? So thank you again. I wish you an absolutely wonderful week. And until next time, ciao.